The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I don't know if somebody's whistling at me, but thank you for that. That felt really good. Appreciate that a lot. So anyway, hey, good morning. We are jumping into a new series today called This Is Church. And if you got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter nine. We're gonna land there here in a bit. Um, uh, just so you know, I've got a flannel on today. I've got boots on, like oh, I'm all in on fall. So there you go. But uh, I have not, however, had a pumpkin spice latte. So I don't know anybody out there had one already. Um, yeah, if you're gonna raise your hand, just raise it. Like, yeah, I had one, all right? So pumpkin spice latte. Okay, good job. Anybody like back in August have pumpkin spice? Okay, Jesus, heal them. Just touch them right now. That's, that's way too early. So just a heads up there. But uh, man, I, how many of you guys love the fall season? Enjoy that? Yeah, it's, I love it. It's great to watch the leaves turn. And I actually kind of dig a little storm. I was hoping for some lightning, to be honest, maybe yesterday or possibly later today. Hopefully no one gets hurt. But um, I just love that kind of storm. And uh, I, I'm a fan. I've always said I'm a fan of May all the way through January 1st. And then it's like dark and cold and rainy all the time. Um, and so I don't know what season you like best, but I like all of those. So I like the end of spring. I love summer. And then I enjoy the fall. I enjoy the holiday season. Um, and then just, I can hibernate for a few months. But uh, so um, I wanna take a moment too and celebrate that we did launch Grove Tutoring on Wednesday. It's so awesome to see people jumping in to tutor. Um, we, we did have, yeah, you could celebrate that for sure. Um, we also launched uh, Connect 2-3 and Connect 4-5 for our Grove kids, that's second and third graders, as well as fourth and fifth graders, just an environment for them. If you have a child that is that age, we would love to see you sign up um, and get them dialed into some, it's basically discipleship classes. Um, and then continue to pray. We do launch Dinner Church at the neighborhood here in a few weeks, um, as well as uh, we got Irresistible coming up. I'm gonna talk about that here in a little bit. And then a special needs class in our Grove Kids Ministry. And so if you know families that have a child that has some unique needs, we would love to partner with those families. And so um, you can definitely let them know and uh, we'll give you the details on uh, that as it's coming up, as we get closer, some details. So anyway, um, I've always been fascinated by, by words. And um, I remember uh, at, at Marshall Elementary up north here in Marysville, I remember being fourth or fifth grade and we had this thing in reading where the goal was to read as much as you can until you made a mistake and then the next person in the class reads. And I always wanted to be the one to read the longest. I wasn't always, but I always wanted to be that person. There was something about that. Maybe it's just, you know, I don't know, trying to show off my reading ability or something. But um, then, then when I was going to college back in the late 90s, um, I worked for a publishing company and I was always fascinated by the authors and their word selection and chapters and all that stuff. And uh, that publishing company actually relocated and I started my own uh, like typesetting company doing, doing book design for authors, taking it from a word manuscript into a, a, a publishable book document. And I, again, I always enjoyed that as well. Um, I also love, uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Mark Buchanan. By the way, if you're looking for a great book to read, uh, for a few years now, one of my favorite books has been Spiritual Rhythm by Mark Buchanan. I love the way he writes. And uh, if you ever get a chance to read, you might know what I'm talking about. But his word selection as he puts them together in sentences always blows me away. He's very, very gifted. And of course, as a studier of scripture, as a follower of Christ, um, I always love looking at the words of scripture. And of course, most of us, when we read the Bible, we read it in English. 
But if you're aware, the Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so when you go back and sometimes read certain words in English, it's fun to look at where those words came from and what some of the specific meaning was because it actually enriches your ability to understand the word of God. And so as you're studying scripture, it's one of the things you can do. Get a study Bible. Um, If you go to the bookstore, you order one online or something, um, a study Bible is a great tool to have. And oftentimes will give you some of the original words to help you understand scripture. Um, the, the thing is, in our world that we live in, words constantly are morphing, changing. Sometimes they're meaning. I think we're aware of this. Like if I say, um, if I say, dude, that's fat, I don't necessarily mean it's large, you know, or whatever. Sometimes it means cool. And, and the same can be said uh, a couple of months ago, Eli did the announcement video and he had a shirt on that says, God is dope. And it's easy to be offended by that. Like God doesn't smoke weed, you know, like but that's again, if we know like, okay, modern day vernacular, of course, this one's not that new, but to say something is dope is to say, it's awesome. It's cool. And so, so he had this shirt on that could be easily misunderstood. And there's many, you know, kind of examples of how this works in our world. I think we know, you know, going back, the word groovy or, you know, uh, and, and, you know, all, of course, that's a little outdated. So if that's your word, God bless you. That's awesome. But... Um, <laughs> I, I learned, again, Eli is, is, is my helper with, with trying to stay at least relatively current, but he let me know more recently the word dripping um, is a great word. That, that means you look great. You look awesome. You look amazing today. And so if he ever tells me I'm dripping or uses that emoji, the hot face with the drop, the water drop, so that means dripping. So there you go. I'm, I'm a nerd and I don't know these things and I'm learning new every day and those watching online are like, I'm, I'm hanging up now. So anyway, okay. But um, <laughs> the same problem arises with... Um, language in a church context. And so when you think about, like we talk about, man, I, I enjoy worship. And oftentimes you and I might mean that as when I come on a Sunday to a gathering like this and we do music and I get to sing, I really enjoy that. And yet Paul in Romans 12 verse two would describe worship as you and I offering our lives as a daily exercise to the Lord, meaning Lord, I choose your way and I want to do what pleases you, not my way and what simply pleases me. And so he describes our lives, laying down our own lives as a spiritual act of worship. Another one, and I've had individuals express their concern about this one at the Grove Church, is that when you walk in the room and you come in the double doors, right above the double doors is a sign that says auditorium. And I've had people say, why do you call it an auditorium? Shouldn't it be called a sanctuary? I mean, isn't that kind of the spiritual idea? And and while that's true, because the idea of a sanctuary is a safe place, and in a Christian context, it's a safe place to to, exercise our spiritual dynamic, worship, prayer, things like that. The problem I have is this. Oftentimes, another word, by the way, is the sanctuary or the house of God. And I've had people say, hey, come to the house of God. We come to the house of God of God. But what happens is sometimes in our theology and it happens subtly or or by accident is that we believe we've got to come here to meet with God. When in our theology, if we're followers of Christ, we understand that when Jesus was crucified and he breathed his last breath, one of the things that happened is there was an earthquake and the veil in the temple was torn in two. And that was the beginning of what we would call the new covenant. It means that you and I have direct access to God wherever we're at. If we're in our car, if we're at the park, if we're at home, if we're in a grocery store, if we're at work, wherever we go, we can enjoy the presence of God. And it's sometimes a little little bit of a, of, a, of a shame that we would say, I've got to come here to meet with God. Paul said this, 
You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, those are words in Paul's day that easily could have had him killed. For him to say that we don't need to go to the temple, but that you and I are the temple was a big deal. And what he meant was that you and I need to live lives that reflect the love of Christ because we are the temple. And in his argument about that, he says, you don't unite something holy like the temple of God, you and I as beings with prostitutes. You, you don't unite you know, something holy with something that's, that's defiled or unholy. And so we are the temple. So when we talk about this as an auditorium, yes, we gather together and we meet here to worship God together and to be edified and challenged together scripturally. But I wanna make sure that we don't think that this room is any different than any other, other place in our world that we can meet with God wherever we go and whatever we do. And so we say, let's call it the auditorium so people understand we have the presence of God. We have God with us wherever we go and whatever it is that we do. Another one is, is uh, and I know this is a really, really nuanced one, but we always as a team talk about language matters and try to help paint the picture for people to understand like, who are we, what are we about? And that is this, we often say like, thanks for coming to a gathering today. And some of you guys are like, can't you just call it a church service? I mean, it's a church service. But the deal is this, sometimes we think that by coming on a Sunday, we've done a service to God. And that's not true. The simple, the, the, the simple fact is the, those who help and make today happen are serving, absolutely. But this isn't necessarily a service in that, in that you know, like you're doing something in particular to serve while you worship and while you learn together, we call it a gathering. And by the way, when we get to what church is, we're gonna talk about this here in just a moment. So we often say at, at the Grove, thanks for coming to a gathering today. Or hey, our gatherings are at 8.30, 9.45, 11 o'clock in person. And that's why we say that, which leads me finally to the word church in our series, This Is Church. And in 2,000 years of Christian history, there's all kinds of ways that people had view, have viewed church, all kinds of things that they've understood about church. And so what I want to start with is what the church is not, because there have been all kinds of groups in history that have called themselves the church. And by the way, even today in our world, you can join the church of Satan. And so when you hear something like that as an extreme version, you go, well, wait a second, what is the church? If I can go to the church of Satan or the church of Jesus or you know whatever it would be, what is the church today? So let me start with what the church is. It's not. And some of these you are well aware of. Maybe others, it's like, okay, that's a great point. But let me start with this. The church is not a building. Now, it's great to have a place to gather to do what we do. It's great to be able to have a facility to help people build bridges and connect with one another and be encouraged together. But the church is not a building. And obviously there's nothing wrong when you're driving by this facility and you got a friend in your car and you say, you know, that, that's, that's my church. That's fine, meaning the location where I come and worship and, and do spiritual things, but the church is not a building. Another thing the church is not is the church is not what happens on Sunday. Hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? You know what? I'm busy. I got to go to church. It's fine that we gather, but, but the church is not a Sunday gathering by itself. And it's important to understand because sometimes as I've said before, we gather on a Sunday and we do this and we check that spiritual box and in the rest of our week, we kind of do whatever because we did church. I went to church. This is church. 
And so we misunderstand sometimes what the church is because we think, hey, Sunday we do church. Another thing, and this is a little bit, um, a little bit of a, a controversial one to sort of say unless it's explained, the church is not even a belief system. And while, listen, what we believe is huge, what we believe is a big deal, and our theology, what we believe about God matters to a great deal, our belief system isn't the church. And so that, that's not what the church is. It's important what we believe, but it's not the church. And finally, the church is not an organization or, or, or a bunch of creeds made official by some sort of legal paperwork. And again, we're a legal entity within Washington State, within the United States of America. There are churches all over the U.S., churches all over the world that are made legal through certain processes of paperwork. But the church is not simply an organization. And then the last one, and this is a little different, so, so I kind of put it in the category of its own. But let me be honest with you. The church is not perfect. Why? Because you're here. <laughs> and because I'm here. No, here's the thing. A lot of times you, you will, maybe if you're talking to somebody about, oh, I, you know, I, I, I go to this church, I'm part of this church or whatever it is, and, and, and somebody might respond with, well, I don't really do church because it's full of hypocrites. How many have heard something like that? Just raise your hands. Yeah, almost all of us. Wow, the church is full of hypocrites. Here's the deal. They're not wrong. And that's the thing that you and I have to understand. The church is full of imperfect people because you're here and I'm here and none of us are perfect. In fact, if we understand, as we look at, at you know, the study of people throughout history, the only one I ever have understood that is perfect is who? Jesus. And so when people say the church is full of hypocrites, I'll be the first to raise my hand. I'm there, so that's true. All of us are imperfect. Now, let's be careful because that's not a license to sort of do whatever we want to do and get away with it. Well, God will forgive me. It's no big deal. That's cheap grace, and that's not okay. But to say the church is full of hypocrites is absolutely accurate because we're on this journey of wanting to become more like Christ, but none of us has arrived yet. None of us is there yet. In fact, we won't get there until eternity, but, but we're gonna talk about in a minute discipleship and why that matters to how we live. The church is not perfect. In Matthew chapter nine, and I, I shared these verses out of Mark in a previous series, but I love in, in Matthew nine, verses 10 through 13, it says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his, his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And while you and I, if we're in Christ, wouldn't be identified as sinners by title, because actually, Paul would say, to the saints that meet at such and such a house. Even still, the fact is, as long as we're on this earth, you and I battle the flesh. We battle sin. It doesn't mean we can't have victory, but it's a battle that we face and we don't always get it perfect. We don't always get it right. And so let me remind you, the church is not perfect. It's why sometimes, and we gotta be careful that, that we'll be in the lobby greeting and hanging out and, and saying hi to people and somebody comes in and somebody might go, oh, they go here? Like, oh, they got a bad background. Oh, they got this history. You know what? I'm glad they came. Let's rejoice that, that they're here as well because they need Christ as much as anyone. 
We all need Christ as much as you know, the other does. And so when people come in, they go, oh, they go here, they're part of this thing, or they do this. Well, yeah, yeah, we're on a journey together. And while we may not be at the same place, none of us is perfect. We're moving towards Christ and want to be more like him, but we haven't yet arrived. The message version of that, Matthew 9, verses 12 through 13, I love this. It says, Jesus, overhearing them, shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Sometimes the message version, it's awesome because it's like the little nuance of like coddle insiders is kind of hilarious. Like, oh, you know, anyway, but um, I just thought that was funny. So what is the church? If the church isn't these things, then what is the church? And if you're taking notes, you can write this down and it's pretty simple. It starts with this. The church is a people. The church are the individuals that are here. The church is us. We are the church. So let's start with the church is a people. The Greek uses the word ekklesia or ecclesia or however you, you want to say it. The Greek ekklesia. When Paul writes to various churches, Galatian, Ephesus, and Thessalonica, and all these different places, oftentimes he opens with to the church that meets at. And, and so if you look at chapter one, verse one or two of some of these letters that Paul wrote, he opens with that. He's using the word ecclesia. Now, what does that mean specifically when we say this is church and we say the church is people, it's people that are gathered or called out. So if you're taking notes, write down a people called out. So ecclesia is this idea. It's a group of people that's called out. What are they called out from? They're called out from their own pattern of living. Paul would use the phrase, the patterns of this world, okay? Called out from their own way of living or the patterns of this world or previous religious tradition. Obviously, Judaism in Paul's day would have been a big part of that conversation. You have others that were given to idols, you know, the, the you know, Artemis of the Ephesians and, and, and different gods that people bowed to, Baal and all this stuff. And so it's called out from previous patterns of living. So Greek, a people called out from previous patterns of living into Christ as Savior and Lord, okay? So it's people called out from previous patterns of living into centering our lives around the belief that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. That's what the church is. And so when I say it's not what we believe, but what we believe matters, it's because it's a people group, but at the core, it centers around our belief in what God did in his love for you and I through Christ on the cross and then his burial and then his resurrection. That's at the core what we believe. If anything deviates from that core, then it's not the church. And so there are groups out there that, that could easily say, well, you know, Jesus, I, you know, I believe he was a great man or he was a great teacher. He had a lot of good things to say. That's not enough. We believe he's Savior and Lord. We believe being worthy of worship as he is in the New Testament. He is part of the Trinity that is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. While you don't see the word Trinity in Scripture, it's our English version way of defining what we believe in, in one God. And so even when we sang earlier, Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. That's our core theology, that, that we believe in this God who loves us so much that Jesus came to pay the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. He died for our sin, 
was buried, and Paul would say, and the writer of Hebrews would also repeat this, he rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating the final enemy that you and I don't have to fear that if we're breathing our last breath, if we're in Christ, guess what? We got an inheritance coming that it's unbelievable. In fact, I've said before, when John in the book of Revelation has this picture of eternity, he's trying to put English, he's not English, he's trying to put words to things that he can't hardly even describe. And so he talks about all the you know, crystals and gold and majesty and royalty and all this stuff as we enter eternity. And it's because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So we don't have to fear that. It's at the core understanding our theology and what we believe about Christ. And so it's believing in the death and burial and resurrection and then it's taking seriously the need to be a disciple and the, the process of maturing and growing. Now, I bring that up because sometimes people come to a, a gathering and, and we share the message of Christ and I'll say, hey, if you want to invite Jesus into your world, I believe it's the best decision you could ever make. And if you want to pray a simple prayer, I would love for you to pray with me. And I do this frequently and people will raise their hand and invite Jesus to be their savior and their Lord. But here's the thing. Sometimes it's done and people go like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I've prayed that prayer and I'm somehow I'm good. I don't have to worry about eternity. But many of us know there is so much more in Christ and it's called being a disciple. And I wanna challenge us with it because we ought to be on a journey of maturity. We ought to be on a journey where our faith is being stretched and we're exercising the muscles of our faith that we believe that God is a provider, that we believe that, that God can heal, that we believe that God invites us into a world where his Holy Spirit wants to rid us of different habits and, 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 and addictions and different things that aren't glorifying to him. He's taking us on a process of maturity. And so discipleship is part of the picture for anybody that would say they believe in what Christ has done on the cross. That's why Every single time that I will ask someone in a gathering like this or sometimes in person, do you want to invite Jesus into your world? And, and you respond with a yes or somebody individually responds with a yes. I'll say, let's pray a simple prayer. And in that prayer, I will say, I invite you to be my savior and my Lord. You've saved me from the penalty of my own sin, but my Lord, meaning I want to follow you as the master of my life and not myself. That's the invitation to discipleship. That's taking the journey of maturity seriously. For many of us, if we've been followers of Christ for any length of time, my hope is that as you reflect on who you're becoming year after year, every five, 10, you know, you're take, taking a look back, that you can see how you've become more like Christ maybe today as you look back, well, I mean, a year ago, I don't know, you know, or five years ago or 10 or whatever, that there ought to be, as I say it, mile markers that show that there's maturity happening. Because we're reminded in the New Testament, Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, that, that we're known by our fruit. That, that whatever we say, Jesus is the Lord of my life, well, then there ought to be some level of fruit. In fact, when Paul goes into the details of what the fruit is, it's an easy litmus test of like, are those things growing in my life? And I've mentioned so many times Galatians 5.22, the nine fruit of the spirit. You can write them down. I'm not gonna quote them right now. I've done it so many times, but it's something for you to take a look at and go, you know, you might take a look every three months, put it in your phone. Every January 1, April 1, July 1, October 1. Those are the times I change the filter in my furnace. And those are great times to stop and go, are these things growing in my life? 
And you take a look at those words and go, am I more loving? Am I more patient? I'm not gonna do that, so let's keep going. Discipleship. Taking seriously being a disciple. Being accountable to heavenly principles. And that holiness is being developed in us. Not to make us prideful. Wow, I'm far better than I used to be. Or wow, I'm far better than them. But honestly, to make us humble. Wow, God, thank you for the work you've done in me that I no longer struggle with that or that I was able to lay that thing down or this pattern in my life was broken as I invited you into work in me and to look back on our lives and go, where have I been growing? Let me give you a little catch into this conversation. Sometimes those, are relatively, those that are relatively new in Christ can look at their lives and, and it's, it's easy sometimes in the first week, month, three months, first year, first couple of years to go, wow, I've really grown a lot. Wow, I understand a lot more. Wow, I've definitely you know, prayed and let God you know, take certain things out of my life that needed to go. But what happens is sometimes we're five years in and 10 years in, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in and, and we just kind of are on autopilot. And I wanna offer that to all of us as a warning that if you look at your life in Christ and you've been in this for, maybe, I would say, maybe it's like five plus years, are you kind of going through the motions? When was the last time you stopped and allowed the Holy Spirit to filter what's going on in me? Who am I becoming? How am I finding myself being challenged in my faith? Or am I in the same spot I've been for a long time? And I'm a huge believer that through your access and my access to the Holy Spirit, that when we make that invitation, God can do a work. And again, that's something where Jesus, would you show me? And I believe the Holy Spirit in those times in our lives can reveal to us, you know what? You're struggling with pride right now. You got some issues there. Hey, you got this, this thing that you, you, I've been trying to whisper to you for a bit here, but you need to, to walk in forgiveness that way. Or, you know, hey, you know, the, the generosity thing. I mean, we talked about last week a little bit, being, being generous towards what happens, you know, through the kingdom work together. As a, there's all kinds of ways that this works, but it's the invitation of the Holy Spirit to continue to challenge us, to grow in that fruit. And then finally, what is the church? The church finally is this, a group of people that own the charge of making disciples. That it's not for the leadership in a church setting. Well, that's your job. You're the pastor. Well, you, don't you have some staff members and other pastors and, and, and board and, and certain leaders that do that? No, no, that's all of our mandate. And I want you to think about this for a moment. If you go back to the first century and you look at Peter and Paul and John and Timothy and all these different individuals in the first century, you can follow what happened to them. And what you'll see amazingly is we don't see it detailed in scripture because it's, it's beyond what we see written there as far as timeline. But what you see is people that would travel to different parts of Asia, people that would travel towards Europe and spread the gospel because they believed wholeheartedly. What were they doing? They were disciples that made disciples. What if the first century leaders, what if the first century disciples didn't make disciples? Well, then you and I wouldn't be here today. In fact, not that you could, but if you could go back in 2000 years of Christian history and watch what happened, you could actually follow like, well, Peter went to here or John went to there. The gospel was shared in this community and the gospel spread and that individual and that church and that. And literally you could follow it through all the way, to, you know, through Reformation and thousands of years of history to you. You know why the gospel got to you? Because disciples made disciples that made disciples that made disciples. I can keep going. <laughs> right, but, but that's the whole idea 
is that we own what Jesus said about going to make disciples. He had died, was buried, risen from the dead, appeared to the disciples, appeared to a bunch of other individuals that saw him in the flesh and were marveling and amazed that he was alive. But what we see right before he ascended was his commission. And we call it the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples. And that wasn't just the first century church. And so it's the church of St. Peter and the church of St. John and the church of St. Thomas and the church of St. Paul and all this stuff. No, no, no. It's understanding that for every single one of us that would proclaim, I am a disciple of Christ to go, I need to own my commission to help people see Jesus through how I live, see Jesus through how I carry myself, see Jesus through the things I'm able to, sh- to say and to be able to share the gospel with other people. That's for all of us, not just anybody that has a title of pastor or some level of leadership within a church context. We all own the great commission. It's why we say all the time, what kind of influence do we have with our own family? with the friendships, with the people that live near us and the people we work with. Those are the people we most commonly come in contact with on a regular basis. What kind of influence do you have? What is your reputation with individuals that you know well? Do they know who you are? Do they know what you believe? Have you ever had an opportunity or tried to explain or walk them through why this whole thing might matter to you? We're called to be disciples that make disciples. So, so at the end of the day, it means that you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus, that we are the body of Christ. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that, the, the, that Christ is the head and that we are the body. And we each have a role to play in the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. You and I are the church. And the stories of us are amazing. And that's in this series, which, which we've been thinking about and praying about and planning for a long time, what could this look like? You're gonna be able to hear in, in the next bunch of weeks stories of individuals that are sitting right by you that you have no idea who they are, but there are some giants in the faith right here. You're gonna hear some of our own history that, that as a church, that just us as a local body within Marysville, originally, that we, we started in the early 1930s. And to go back and hear from some of our, our old previous minutes from business meetings, which there's a business meeting tonight, and I would love for you to come and hear a little bit about what's going on, hear about who our board members are and stuff like that, but come. And if you're a member, you need to be here 6 p.m. Anyway, some of our history includes individuals that today are part of our church going all the way back to the 1940s and 50s. Two sisters that are still here that we adore and love so much that are in their 90s and they're hilarious to be around to be able to get to know a little bit of their story and their husbands who have passed away and and yet some of the foundation they laid decades ago for us to be who we are today. Stories of people within this church that when we did do some additions and remodels and stuff like that, they were here in the 70s working on these projects, giving towards these projects, in the 80s working on these projects, giving towards these projects have taken roles of leadership within the church and aren't in roles of leadership today but are still part of the church loving what God is doing and committed to his mission. Stories of people that have been here for decades and stories of people that have been here for a year, two or three. But the blessing I have, having been here since 1992 now, was a janitor way back when, was a youth pastor in the early 2000s, lead pastor since 2009. I've performed weddings of people in this room right now. I've watched you have kids and see your families grow and watch these little kids grow up. And these kids are friends with my kids. 
watching them run around here in Grove Kids Ministry and now they're off to college, some of them. Celebrating what God has done, being able to see generationally the life change, being able for you to share some of your stories that people need to hear. Because one of the things I know is that when testimonies are shared, it's a bolstering of our faith together. I'm excited for you to hear some of these stories. But my hope is throughout this series, and I'm almost done, my hope is throughout this series, as you hear the stories, your faith is encouraged. And as you hear these stories, you understand what the church is called to be. And what it does is challenges you to live in such a way that your faith is a vibrant faith. I wanna read a story that comes out of a book that we're actually gonna be studying here in a little bit called Irresistible. And it's a book by a pastor named Andy Stanley and he's from you know, Atlanta, Georgia. But what I love is his heart for people to understand Christ. And he opens Irresistible, which is the discipleship class that we're teaching here in a few weeks. If you got the app, which download the app, we'll put it on the screen later on the QR code. Um, you can sign up for Irresistible. It's gonna be a Tuesday night class that we're gonna have once a week. Um, during the fall, I encourage you to sign up. It's the one in-person discipleship that we're going to be doing, um, specifically for discipleship. We'll also have life groups and that's, that's another thing, but um, I encourage you to sign up. And the reason is because in the world that we live in right now, things are so insane and it can feel a little disappointing how the church has responded. And yet when I look back and I read this book a couple of years ago, there was something in me right now that went, man, if we could understand this. So I wanna read for you um, the story that he opens up with in his book, Irresistible. Um, and uh, like I said, this is kind of the foundation that's gonna build on this, this discipleship we're doing on Tuesday nights. This is from Andy Stanley. In 2007, my son Andrew, who was 13 at the time, accompanied me on a trip to China. During our visit, we were invited to tour an American-owned leather goods factory. The owner was a friend of a friend. When we arrived, he graciously insisted on serving as our guide. Before we began the tour, he introduced us to a Chinese girl in her 20s who had worked her way from the factory floor into management. He asked if we would be okay if she shadowed us during the tour. Two hours later, we were back in his office for a quick recap. As we wrapped up, he asked, does anyone have any questions? To all of our surprise, raising her hand to shoulder level, our shadow spoke up. I have a question, she said. Turning to me, she asked, are you a pastor? I had no idea where this was going. I had not introduced myself as a pastor. I wasn't even sure if it was okay that I was a pastor. We were in China. For all I knew, she was a government plant assigned to follow us around all afternoon. Yes, I said, I'm a pastor. What she said next in her beautiful broken English caused the hair to stand up on the back of my neck. How good is good enough? I recognize your voice. I was stunned. How Good is Good Enough is the title of a book I had recently published. The manuscript was based on a message I had preached years earlier. She continued, two years ago, someone gave me a CD of your sermon, How Good is Good Enough. I listened to it over and over. Then, listen to this, then I asked Jesus to save me and live inside of me. Before I was empty, now I am full. If you think I made this up, I don't blame you. I have witnesses. She went on, I wanted to go to church, but there are no churches in my city. I began attending a Bible study in an apartment close to where I live. Sometimes I ride the bus to church, but it's two hours and I'm always late. The bus ticket is expensive and I don't know anyone at the church. I was both humbled and honored, but she wasn't finished. Looking at her boss, she said, can I ask the pastor another question? He nodded. 
Pastor, she said, why doesn't everyone in America go to church? I still haven't recovered from her question. I had no idea how to respond. I still don't. How do you explain thousands of empty churches to a young lady who would ride two hours to attend a church in another town? A young lady who would be there every time the door was opened, if there was a door to open. The Bible study she attended was a part of a network of underground churches, what the Chinese government refers to as unregistered churches. Her participation put her at risk. Owning a Bible put her at risk. Talking about attending a church in front of her boss put her at risk. Imagine her shock if she were to discover that not only do most American Christians not read the Bible, in most churches there's a closet full of Bibles that have been left behind. I don't remember how I responded. I said something entirely forgettable, but I haven't forgotten her question. It's bothered me ever since. So why doesn't everybody in America go to church? Why is the church so resistible? Jesus wasn't. Once upon a time, his church wasn't either. We have our differences. We're imperfect people. But Jesus says we're the church. We're a reflection of Christ. This is church. We're the church. And we're called to reflect the Savior that I happen to believe that if people could just encounter, they would want so desperately grace and forgiveness, life, hope, his work for our sin. Tell me that's not an amazing trade. Father, today, as we lay the groundwork for this series, I pray that we would have a conviction in our hearts about who we are as the church. It's not the building. It's not our belief system, and that matters, but it's not our belief system. It's us. And we are centered around what we believe in Christ that his death and burial and resurrection is where we find forgiveness, where we find life, where we find hope, where we find strength. And so God, we anchor ourselves to who you are. And I pray that you would do something in all of us throughout this series to have a deep reverence, a deep respect for how you've wired us and the purpose you've given each of us to help people in our world around us see the love of God in Christ. I pray we would be the church not a judgmental religious entity that thinks about ourselves, not, a, not an entity that gathers to, to do this because it feels good, but that God, we're on mission, shining your light, expressing your love, maturing in our faith, becoming what you desire, because if ever there was a time where hope is needed, it's now, and we are the carriers of that hope through being the body of Christ, the church. Help us live it out in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.